Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast, where we want to know God, love people, and reach our world. If you have any questions or want to learn more about us, you can always check us out online by going to gracelife.church. We'd love for you to stay connected throughout your week and everywhere you go with the gracelife.church app. It's free and available wherever you download apps. Let's go to this week's message in our series about Noah. So hey, a couple of things to touch base on before we get into the message. The first one is that we have officially kicked off Summer of Serve, and so we've got our Global Outreach Director, Shelly Young, with us to talk about what is this? Why do we do Summer of Serve? Oh my goodness. A few years ago, Jimmy um, mentioned, he said, our city should be a better place because God's people are in it, right? That's right. And it was so good, and it challenged us to think about ways that we can take Jesus beyond these four walls. And so the reason why we do Summer of Service is because we want to advance the kingdom of God in our city. We want to transform our city like never before. So we're super excited for all of the projects that we have going on. Awesome. That's why we have t-shirts that say making Jesus famous in Columbia. Because if you think about what Jesus did for people is what opened the door for his message. And, and uh, if you took away all of the healings and the feedings and the everything else that he did, so we're going to go out and just do some incredibly practical things to open the door for the message as well. So speaking of those, what are some of those incredible practical things we're going to be doing? Oh my goodness, we have so many different projects to make Jesus famous here in Columbia. We have First Responders Appreciation, where you can be a part of serving our police department and our fire department. We have journey bags for the foster care community. So we're making bags for those who are displaced from their homes, and they don't really have anything, and so you're able to just really partner with them and just making them feel the love of Jesus through just a few items, right? Also, we have family shelter. We have transitions. We have World Refugee Day. Oh my goodness, we get to love on refugees in our community. How exciting is that? And also, we have summer food program, which goes the entire summer. That is amazing. So the summer food program is the biggest thing that we're doing because we go into a community and we stay there all summer long. Tell us more about what we need for that and why we're doing that. That is our biggest, um, I guess most, uh, I wouldn't even say most important, but we need the most volunteers for that. We need your help in really adopting an entire block. An entire block we are adopting for the entire summer. And we are loving on those kids. We are feeding them. We're playing games with them. We need your help to make that possible and really just sharing the love of Jesus for that community. And and the reason we're doing this is because the school system and the social workers there know that there are kids that will kind of be alone all summer because their parents have so many jobs to work. And so they'll be alone. They'll probably not have any food. And so they've adopted some neighborhoods And last week we did, last year we did a week in one of these neighborhoods, and we said, you know, we don't want to do that anymore. We don't want to be the people who just pop in and pop out, and and we're not really known. We said, we we want to stay there for the entire summer and and be consistent faces uh, with these children. And so we bit off a really big bite of this apple, jumped off a cliff, however you want to say it, and we're ready for you guys to jump off the cliff with us because Grace Life is going to adopt this entire block for the entire summer. So, yeah. So how can... How can people get involved? Absolutely. Head to the app or the website. Sign up for your project today. So there's everything listed on the web and the website. um, And all you have to do is sign up, find your project, and get plugged in today. All right. Cool. Everybody give it up for Shelly. Yep. A couple other things before we begin today. Uh, The first one I want to remind you, our new First Step starts immediately after this service. So we didn't have First Step during May. If you're new to Grace Life and you're saying, what should I do? 
uh, take your first step, which is to come to first step. This is how you find out if this is the church for you. We've got lunch for you. So uh, immediately after this service, you probably need lunch anyway. We've got childcare for you. So really zero excuses. Just stick around right after this. And again, uh, we've also changed it not only from dinner to lunchtime, but from four weeks to two. So it's the first two Sundays of every month, which means this week and next week, you'll be all done and uh, you'll be all involved in whatever God has called you to do here at Grace Life. So with that said, I promised you guys some announcements today. Anybody ready for this? You want to know? There you go. You want to know about this? Let me tell you about this. Everybody say nine. Nine is the number of Sundays that you need to come to this building. Yes. Yeah. So if any of you come 10 Sundays and you're here by yourself, it's your own fault. Nine more Sundays. So as we get ready to move out of this space and into the new facility that uh, we're all excited about, we feel like God is giving us want to touch base on one thing financially, where we are in the next two months. We do still have a current need of about $250,000. That's overwhelming to any one of us individually. If I got a bill at my house for $250,000, I'd die. Um, but the good news is that all of us together, this is not as big of a deal. But, uh, you know, we do need this in the next two months. So maybe some of you, God's been speaking to you and you're thinking that couldn't be God. I'm here to tell you, yes, it is. <laughs> there you go. So anyway, whatever God's put on your heart, let's see if we can come together and meet that need in the next two months. With that said, you want to know when we're out of here. So check these out. Two dates, two very important dates. The first one is Wednesday, August 8th. We're doing our building dedication. And that is when we're going to just come together and have a huge party, worship time, prayer time, uh, celebrating what God has done, as well as praying for what we hope and expect him to do over the coming decades. We're doing it on Wednesday night because we have a lot of friends, other pastors, people from other churches that want to be a part of this with us. We've had churches in Texas giving us money every single month toward our building fund. Isn't that crazy? And we've got pastors even here in the city that have been texting me almost every week for years saying, what's the status? How's your building coming? Can't wait for you guys. So excited for you. You know, too often people think pastors don't get along and we're in competition with each other, but at least here in this city, that is not the case. We understand it's one kingdom and we love each other, support each other. So we're doing this on a Wednesday night so that many other pastors can join us and be a part of what we're doing. And so just think about what that means. Uh, even though our room is gonna be more than double this size, we're gonna bring all three services together plus all of our out of town guests. So it, it's gonna be a good crowd. Gonna wanna make sure you, you get there in time. Speaking of in time, the food, the doors will be open for a buffet dinner at 5.30. Uh, free food, can't, can't knock that, right? And uh, then we will start our worship at 7, and it's just going to be a great time, fun evening. First opportunity to worship together in the new building Wednesday, August 8th. And then our first Sunday there, when you no longer come here, but you go there Sunday, August 12th. So come on, who's excited? Anybody? That announcement has been years in the coming, hasn't it? Years in the making. I've been waiting a long time to say that. So, all right, everybody, we are in a series on Noah, and today we're on part three. If you've missed any of it, you can go catch it online or on the app, but I'm just going to uh, kind of sum up what we've talked about in the other two parts as we've gone along, at least uh, just a little bit of, of the key points here. So we started out part one talking about why Noah found favor in God's eyes out of everybody on the earth. Why Noah? And uh, we understood it was because he walked with God, and it left us with one question. Would you be known as someone who walks with God if your neighbors were to talk about you, if your family were to talk about you? 
So then we came back in part two, and uh, we recognized that it was said multiple times of Noah that he did all that God commanded him. He did all that God commanded him. And God commanded him to do something really uh, ridiculous, in all honesty. He asked him to build a really big boat, big enough to handle some of the animals of all the earth, in a place where there was dry ground for a storm that has never come. Sounds foolish, doesn't it? And so he came up with the phrase of foolish obedience. When you do something that God asks you to do that really doesn't make much sense in the eyes of the world. And so we were faced with this question. What is the foolish obedience God may be asking from you? What is the foolish obedience God may be asking from you? And uh, so next week, give you a little teaser here, we will wrap up the series part four with Naked Noah. Come on, who knows the story? Yep. Sadly, we end up with Naked Noah. And if you don't know the story, just come back next week. We're going to be talking about what happened to him after a little bit too much wine. Good news, we won't be showing pictures, so you don't need to worry about that when we talk about Naked Noah. So anyway, uh, you know, I've got two roles that I've developed in my life over the years, and it has changed the way that I do things. It has changed some choices I make because, uh, well, you know, honestly, things are bigger than me now. And so one of those is I, I became a father, and so I changed how I drive. Uh, I don't know if anybody, any other dads, you changed how you, you drove, right? Come on, I mean, anybody? Thank you, thank you, appreciate it. Because, you know, when, when you're a teenager, you, you watch these cops and robber shows, and you watch how cars go around corners, and they, like, squeal and slide and leave black marks. And so you get a driver's license, and you think, can the car really do that? I've got to find out. Or you watch people like, you know, do a complete 180, spin the car around, and you're like, man, can my car do that, you know? And when you're 18, you're invincible anyway, right? No 18-year-old ever, ever thinks they could die. Nothing. People say, what? what happens if you hurt yourself? Oh, I can't get hurt. I'm 18. You know I mean? That's just kind of like your motto, right? That's the way we were. But then I went to be a missionary in a country that doesn't enforce speed limits. That was no help at all. I mean, suddenly I'm like driving like a maniac, you know? Then I have kids, and I got a minivan. I mean, first of all, you can't spin the thing around. Anybody who can, can spin their minivan around, I'm impressed. Okay, I'll give you props. But on top of that, the reality was, what if I were to, like, slam into something doing one of those fancy turns where you leave black marks on the road? I might hurt my kids. And so just this small decision or to drive too fast or something, it, it could, could affect other people. And then I became a pastor. Things got even more complicated. And so it limits some things that I might want to say or do. It limits my choices. And I'm not talking about sin. It'd be pretty bad if the only reason I don't sin is because I'm a pastor. <laughs> I'd love to sin. I'm just, no, no, I'm talking about simple stuff. Simple stuff like maybe posting something on social media. I mean, you guys do realize social media brings out the stupid in people, right? I mean, none of you. None of you. But there are other people in the world, and social media just like draws the stupid right out of them. And they say things and post things they would never say or put on their walls at home or anything else. And so, you know, there are times where I'd like to say something about somebody's stupidness or about my opinion about what's going on in the world or whatever. Maybe political opinions or something. And I've discovered I have to choose differently what I might post because, well, the truth is, as a pastor, what I post affects hundreds of people. You know, because on Sunday morning, I want to be able to talk about how to follow God with your life. I want to be able to point to Jesus. And in the room on a Sunday morning, this may shock you, but there are Republicans and Democrats and Libertarians and Adocarians and everything else. And if you got caught up on what I posted online about a political party, you would no longer be able to hear me teach about God. 
And so it changes the choices I have. And the truth is, every single one of us, we have choices that impact more than just us. And we make choices that impact more than just right now. And so that is where we are with Noah, because Noah does something that will ultimately impact all of humanity. And we can learn something from that. So if you've got your Bibles, you can turn with me to Genesis chapter 8. We're going to pick up the story in verse 15. But I'm going to fill in with a backstory while you're turning pages. Uh, Here's what's happened since last week. And you say, nothing happened with Noah since last week. He's been dead. Well, what I mean by that is what has happened in the story in between part two and part three. So we left off last week with God had told Noah to build the ark. He had done that. God told Noah to get on the ark, and he had done that. Noah had done all that God commanded. So here's what has happened since last week. It began to rain, and it rained a lot for a long time. It rained for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, some people are actually a little confused about the Noah story. They think that after 40 days, Noah hopped off the boat, but it actually didn't work like that. You see, the waters prevailed upon the earth. That means it rained for 40 days, and then it stuck around for a while. The waters prevailed upon the earth 150 days. And then the waters began to go away. That means they began to recede, and you started seeing a little bit of land here, a little bit of a mountaintop there for another 150 days until you could actually see ground. But then, if you could imagine, it had been wet for a year, I mean, just imagine one of those elephants hopping off the ark and into a big, soft, squishy mud. I mean, he's just gone. There's nothing but like a little trunk waving up there, you know? So they had to stay on the ark another 70 days to let the ground dry enough just to be able to get off of it. Total, 370 days, more than a year in a confined space with smelly animals and your immediate family. Sounds kind of like a summer vacation road trip. Who wants to do that one? It's over a year long, right? Yeah, nobody. Okay. And so here's where we are finally, 370 days after it begins to rain. Pick it up in verse 18. Then God said to Noah, go out from the ark. Go out from the ark. And I want you to notice the first thing that Noah did, because that's what's really important today. Verse 20, then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. Wow. You know what this is? This is worship. The first thing that Noah can think to do is to stop and worship God. I mean, I I think I can just see this image of him, like he's got this big long plank coming down from the ark or whatever, however it is. When he takes the first step off of the ark and onto ground, he just immediately falls to his knees and goes, God. I mean, think about, first of all, the fear of God that must have come over him. Because, you know, I mean, before the the story began, so he was a good guy and he did godly stuff and God talked from heaven. But he's having like a come to Jesus moment right now, like, oh my gosh. Like God, that voice in heaven, did you see that? He actually does what he says he's going to, he can, I mean, he wiped out the earth. I mean, the amount of water, oh my, I mean, he's just having one of those, you ever had like, we could never have a moment where all of humanity's wiped out were the only ones left. At least I wouldn't want to be that moment. But, but, you know, maybe you've had a moment where you were just in a crazy car accident or some other intense moment where when it's finally done and the dust settles, you just go, wow, you know, that kind of thing. And, and so Noah just overwhelmed with the fear of God and you combine that, I think, with awe 
and gratitude, like, wow, man, the immensity of God, the power of God, the greatness of God. And yet, I mean, when he could do all of that, he thought of little me, just me. He took care of just me. I mean, isn't this amazing? I I just imagine him falling on his knees and going, oh, God, you know, that kind of moment. But, But there was more to it that if you can imagine the just the natural fear that was upon him. It rained nonstop, this torrential rain for 40 days and 40 nights. Anybody ever been around a really big storm? I mean, you just imagine the waves tossing and the wind blowing. And well, 40 days and 40 nights means we would have gone from a full moon to a new moon at some point. That means there were days and nights where, where there's just pitch black for, for days on end, for, well, not for, you get my point though, for every night, there's, there's no light and, and the boat is just tossing and the waves and at any moment a wave could come over them and just capsize them and everybody's dead. They haven't seen land for weeks. There is no light in the sky. There is just rain coming down nonstop. I mean, if you could just get how scary that must have been. And you guys say, why would Noah be scared, Jimmy? God told him to build a boat. God told him it was going to rain. God said he would take care of him. And I would say, then why are you and I scared half the time? We got the same promises in the Bible. God says, I love you. I will never forsake you. I will never leave you. I've got the end under control. You're going to go to heaven. It's going to be perfect. It's going to be great. And yet we get all freaked out. I lost my job. What am I going to do? The doctor said, I don't know what I can do for you. Oh, no, what am I going to do? I mean, we do this. We get afraid in the middle of a storm, right? And so just, I mean, you just got to get in a headspace of where Noah was, of like, wow, that was the scariest thing in the world, you know? And then, then God shows his greatness, and then God shows his goodness. And I just think Noah is just exhausted. I think he just steps off the boat, falls on his knees, and goes, oh, never thought this day would come. I could just see him kind of saying that. And so the first thing that he thinks to do is just to stop and worship God. But there's more to it than that. Because he didn't just fall on his knees and say, thank you, God. That would have been worship. He didn't just start singing a song. That would have been worship. But it tells us he built an altar. And he sacrificed some of every clean animal and every clean bird. You know what that means? He was actually doing a sacrifice for atonement. That means he was doing a sacrifice to pay for sin. Think about that. God had said, humanity is so wicked, I am going to wipe them off of the face of the earth and you and you alone, Noah. And so even though God has now wiped out humanity and only Noah's left, we know Noah's not a perfect man. And I'm pretty sure there were a few squabbles between the kids and the grandkids and the wife on the boat. Pretty confined space, you know. And I think at this moment, he's realizing a couple of things. One is, oh my gosh, God is serious about sin. Like, this is a problem. And I know I'm not perfect. I mean, I've tried to honor God. I do everything that he says. But I know in my heart, sometimes I get a little something, something going on. And so I know I'm not sinless. And so I think one of the things Noah says is, we better deal with this. We need a clean start. I get it. God's wiped out mankind. But let's atone for all the sins of humanity. Let's atone for our own sinfulness and let's worship this great God. I mean, this is amazing. And sometimes you might think, oh, it's just a quick little take a bird, chop off his head. We got fried chicken kind of thing going on. But it says, no, some of every clean animal. I mean, this went on for hours, if not days of what it took for this process before anything else just to stop 
and to worship God and to say, we will not have sin. We're, we're going to be clean before you. And you may say, why does that matter? Because of what God did in response. Check this out. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. And neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. Now look, one of the greatest mysteries for us, one of the first questions I think most of us want to ask God when we get to heaven is, how did all of that like prayer stuff work? I mean, because here's the thing. We know we have a sovereign God who has a will that he is going to carry out upon the earth. I mean, the end is already written. I mean, it's not going to change. God knows what he's going to do. God knows what he wants to do. And we cannot manipulate God into doing something just because we want it. And yet at the exact same time, we know that God does respond to our worship and our prayers. I mean, is anybody else confused? Because I'm the pastor and I'm confused. And if anybody has a perfectly logical explanation how we cannot manipulate God to carry out our will, but yet our prayers and our worship do determine his responses to us, you come on up because you get the rest of the service. It's one of the great mysteries. And so we don't even understand how that happens sometimes, but what we see right here and what we know is that God responded to Noah's worship. Noah's choice to obey him. Noah's choice to worship. Noah's choice to make atonement. Because of that, God responds and says, mm, that's nice. I like what I see. i tell you what. I'm going to paraphrase what God says here. I now will recognize the condition of man for what it is. And I will no longer relate to man based on what he should do for me. But I'll relate to man based on what I'm going to do for him. Wow. That is huge. God is going to begin to relate to us based on his grace, not our goodness. And it's all because of Noah's choice to obey, Noah's choice to worship, Noah's choice to acknowledge God. I mean, look at this. Then God said to Noah and his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark. It is for every beast of the earth I establish my covenant with you, that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy all earth. Now look, here's the truth. We will never know. And thank God we will never know. But it is perfectly possible, based upon the way the story reads, that had it not been for Noah and his worship and his atonement for sin, where God smelled the aroma and said, here's what I'm going to do. Had it not been for that, it is perfectly possible God was going to continue to judge mankind every hundred years, every thousand years, wipe them out, find one good guy to keep it going, wipe them out, find one good guy. I mean, it's just possible. We don't know. We'll never know. But it says because of Noah's worship, God smelled the pleasing aroma and said, this is what I'm going to do. Noah made a choice that resulted in a covenant, a promise, a covenant for all of humanity that is still in effect today, that will be in effect until the end. I mean, do you see the significance of his little choice, his one little choice for all of us? It is huge. We don't understand this word covenant because it's not something we use very often. 
And here's what's cool about this covenant is it's a non-conditional covenant. That means God says, I'm gonna do it no matter what you do because I'm not gonna expect you to get this right anymore. This isn't about your efforts or your goodness. This is about my grace. You see, too often we think the word grace shows up in the New Testament. We think Jesus like brought grace with him in his back pocket or something when he, he came. Because we, we have these verses like, by grace, through faith, you have been saved. And it's all about Jesus dying on the cross. But the truth is God is full of grace. It's in his character. It is who he is. It's his nature. And he's been displaying his grace since the beginning of time. True, the word shows up in the New Testament more often. But this is an example of it right here where God says, you know what? I'm going to make a covenant. That's a promise. And I don't break my promises. I'm going to make a promise with you based upon my grace and not your goodness. And you and I go, thank you. Thank you. That's why when we talk about marriage, marriage is such a big deal because it's a covenant, not a contract. It says, I am going to do for you. And it, it, it's not about what you're going to do for me. This is my covenant with you and with God. It's a promise I'm making to you. And that's why any, you ever been to a wedding ceremony? The pastor always says these words that are really important. It says like, this is not to be done lightly. It's a covenant. It's a promise. And that's what God does for you and me. And so God said, look, this is the sign of the covenant. I'm going to show you something to prove that this promise is real. The sign of the covenant that I make between you, between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. And when I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy the earth. I'm one of those weird people that loves thunderstorms. I mean, I love to get as close to them as I can. Every time a thunderstorm comes, I run out on my porch. I want to see how close I can get to like the power and majesty of God. And I've trained a couple of my kids to do this with me. So when a storm comes, matter of fact, one of my sons even like beats me out there. He's like, daddy, here's the storm. Let's go to the porch, right? You know, I, I just say, look at the power of God as you're watching lightning and hearing thunder and rain is coming and the wind is blowing and you're getting a little bit wet even though you're on a porch. I mean, this is just as close as you can get. And I haven't quite got all the kids there. Still got some that hide in the closet, but that's all right. But, you know, you just love seeing what God has done. And then after the thunderstorm, it's a rainbow. And I love telling my kids, that is the grace of God. And I don't know if you've ever thought about it like that, but I hope from this day forward, when you look up and you see a rainbow, you go, man, that is God's promise that he will be good to me even when I'm not good to him. That he's going to do for me what I should be able to do for myself, but I don't because, well, I'm broken and I'm sinful. And I know there are some objections. Look, somebody right now in here is thinking, come on, Jimmy, a rainbow is just a natural refraction of light, and it's a phenomenon in science, and blah, 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 blah. Okay, I get it. I, too, was a nerd in science class, and I also didn't want to believe the weird stuff of the Bible like a dude and a fish for three days in a flood. I get it. But as we've talked about in the series, Jesus called the flood history, so we've got to do business with this. It must have been a real thing. And God says, I am going to do this as a promise and a sign. And so here's the deal. We shouldn't be surprised that a God who creates our world and he creates it with things operating in a certain way so that they continue to do what they should do, like water flows downhill, those kind of things like gravity, because, you know, God wants us to come to heaven someday, but not today. You know, come on, y'all with me here? I mean, there are just laws, that's what they are, laws of nature that God put into practice for how nature would operate. So we shouldn't be surprised that a rainbow coincides with the laws of nature and can be explained by it. When nature works like it should, 
that is not undermining a creator God. It is affirming a creator God. But I won't go too far down that, that path. That's just for those of us like me that you just struggled with the whole idea, can I believe the Bible? So look, here's what our question is for today. If Noah, with his choice and his act of foolish obedience and his worship of God can change the course of human history, at the very least impact it greatly. What does this mean for our choices? We think about this. You do realize that what you choose to do here and now is way bigger than just you. Maybe you don't know that. Do you know that when you make a choice, it's going to affect other people? It's going to impact your spouse, your future spouse, your children, your grandchildren. And, and do you realize that the choices you make don't just affect now, but they affect later? They affect your future and they affect someone else's future. And so it leads us to our question for today is what impact might your choices have on others? I want us to change how we think. I mean, what if Noah thought selfishly? Build a boat? I want to build a boat. I'm already 600 years old. I've lived long enough. Bring the flood, dude. I'm good. He could have. But it wasn't about him. It wasn't about saying, I'm 600 years old. I don't need to do this anymore. I don't need to build a boat and be ridiculed for decades while I'm doing it. I don't need, I don't need. No, he just, yes, God. Because he understood it wasn't about him. It was about something so much bigger than him. So we just, just for the fun of it, I got together with some staff members this week, and we just, we just came up with a few verses. We actually came up with a very long list, and we just had to cut it very short, just for the sake of time. And I'm just going to walk you through a couple of things, seven of them, I think. Uh, just a little survey of some of the things we see in the Bible that if we choose this, it's going to affect other people in that way. It's the impact of our choices on others. Something like this. Our children will be blessed. Very simply. I mean, that's a good thing, right? Proverbs 20 says, The righteous who walks in his integrity, blessed are his children after him. Not just him, blessed are his children. What? You mean if I live a godly life, if I choose integrity, if I choose right over wrong, that it can result in something in my child's life? Yes, that's exactly what it's saying. Or how about the exact opposite? Our choices can cause our posterity to be forsaken. Proverbs, I'm sorry, Psalm 37 says, I have not seen the righteous forsaken, no, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. That's a hard word, isn't it? How about this one? Financial and material blessing. Psalm 112 says, Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. Wealth and riches are in his house. Uh, that, I mean, I know some of us like to object to things like that and go, I don't have wealth and riches. Uh-uh. No, man, I, I, I'm not a wealthy person at all. I don't think God upholds his word. And I just want to say, stop it. Because the truth is, the poorest person in this room right now, if we could go around and do our pity party and figure out who wins, the poorest person in here with the cheapest, oldest, dumpiest car, with the worst TV on their wall, or your TV is so old it doesn't hang on a wall. Come on, y'all know what I'm talking about you're still among the richest people in all of human history. I mean, just look at us. I mean, kings used to have to pay tons of money to hire servants to be at their beck and call. You can just go through a McDonald's drive-thru. I want a Happy Meal, I want ketchup only, and I want it now. 
Yes, sir. That'll be whatever. Drive to the next window. We're gonna. You don't even have to get out of your seat. It's like a king from hundreds of years ago. And I don't care how many colors your car is and, and if your tires don't match and your radio doesn't work. I mean, kings used to have to ride behind horses in cold weather with rain coming in the window of the coach or getting wet as they sat on the horse. And now the poorest of us in the dumpiest car, we probably still have heat in the winter and keeps the rain off of our head. So if you think that, that God isn't blessing us, then, well, your definition of wealth is very, very wrong. And then the opposite is true as well, financial loss. Proverbs 32 says, A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the sinner's wealth, no, it's not going to his kids. No, it's not going to his kids' kids. It's going to somebody else. The wealth is stored up for the righteous. How about this? Others can experience salvation because of your choices. Acts 16 says, they told him, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and all your household. Here's the thing. That's not just an automatic, if you believe your kids are going to heaven. So it doesn't mean that. What it does mean is because of your choices and your influence and your leadership, as you begin to move forward, your household moves with you. It's why in my house, all of my children are Duke fans. We don't do light blue in our house. We do Duke blue in our house. And it's not because they thought it was a good idea. It's because of my influence and my leadership. I've even turned my European wife who thinks football is round into watching Duke game. You know what I'm saying? It's because of my influence. And you, because of your influence, may see your entire household and your entire community saved because of that. How about destiny fulfilled? First Kings says, look, if your sons pay close attention to their way to walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart and with all their soul, you shall not like a man on the throne of Israel. You are the king. You are supposed to have a son who is king. Your grandson should be king. Your great-grandson should be king. And your great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandson should be king. That's my intent for you. That is their destiny. But if just one person chooses not to follow me, then everybody's destiny is cut off from your entire family. You want to talk about choices affecting somebody? Oh, my gosh. You want to see a worse example? How about an impact on an entire community? Joshua 22 reminds us of the story. When Achan, son of Zerah, was unfaithful in regard to the devoted things, did not wrath come on the whole community of Israel? He was not the only one who died for his sin. What are we talking about? If you don't know the story, when the Israelites first began to conquer the promised land, they came to the first city. And God says, the first one, it's first fruits. It's mine belongs to me. It's devoted to me. It's the concept of tithing started way before even you're seeing that word right there. The first that you get comes to me. You don't touch it. You don't get it. Achan came along and he said, look at all this gold and silver. What good is it going to do to give it to God? What good is it going to do to destroy it? I could use this. My family could use this. So Achan took some of the gold and silver and the treasures and he kept them. And then very shortly after they go back into battle, here's the problem. They go into battle and God's favor cannot be with people who disobey him. And so God lets the battle just play out in natural terms there. And so here's what happens. 36 men die. 36 people die. Not Achan. 36 other men die. 36 other families lose their husband and fathers. 36 other people lose their brothers. 36 families and extended families are impacted because of his sin. And so then they said, hey, God, you were with us. What, what, what happened? Well, actually, I wasn't with you because somebody disobeyed me and they kept devoted things. Who was it? It was Achan. You know what they did to Achan then? They took Achan and his kids, his sons and his daughters and his pets and executed every single one of them. You see, our choices impact way more than us. 
But the truth is, cause and effect is just incredibly hard to see today. Cause and effect is incredibly hard to see today. And it's one of the reasons that we just do whatever we want. You see, here's here's kind of the problem. First of all, God's grace and mercy are just so good. God's grace and mercy are so abundant. There are so many times we experience God's goodness when we deserved punishment. There are so many times that we should have had God correct us, but instead it didn't come out that way. And so we kind of get the idea, well, this cause doesn't have that effect. I mean, one reason I used to drive so fast is because there was a time I drove fast and did not get a ticket. And the odds were in my favor. I can keep doing this because there's not a perfect cause and effect. You guys know what I'm saying, right? And then there's the other side of the coin where where we like to take things like these verses and some of us try to live by a theology that says, if I do this, God always does that. A plus B always equals C. And I need you to know that's not what that list says and that's not why I read that list. You cannot do one of these things where because I do this, it'll always be like this. My life will be perfect. Some people like to say things like, well, you know, there's only sickness in the world because of sin. So if you get sick, you need to ask God what you did wrong. Really bad theology. And matter of fact, Jesus blew up that bad theology. And if you don't know that, I'm going to help you right now. They asked Jesus, who sinned that this man is like this? Was it him or was it his parents? And Jesus said, neither. He's sick just so I can heal him and get glory. So this, this list and 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 talking to you about your choices impacting people, I'm not trying to give you some idea that A plus B always equals C. What I'm trying to help you understand is that the sum totality of a life that obeys God is going to be a life that is blessed. Doesn't mean you won't have bad days. Noah was ridiculed for decades while he built that boat. Doesn't mean that you're not going to have challenges. But what I want you to understand today, what I want us to walk away with is this very simple concept. What you choose today and what you choose now will impact tomorrow for someone else. And we need to start to think like fathers, not teenagers. We need to think like mothers, not kids. We need to think like there are people that are going to be impacted by what we do. You see, we can't see the full cost. Y'all do understand we can't see the cost, right? You don't know what your choice today is going to cost you tomorrow. It's a thing called opportunity cost. Now, I'll give you a financial example. You know, if you, you go to buy a used car today with, say, it's $8,000, and you've got $8,000, and you're like, okay, this is great. I've got $8,000. I can do this. But there's an opportunity cost that comes with spending that $8,000 because you, you could instead invest it. And if you made a different choice in 10 years, that 8,000 might be worth 12,000. Or you choose to buy the car, that $8,000 car is gonna be worth two in 10 years. The difference between 12,000 and 2,000 is a huge opportunity cost that we can't see. And we can't see what our choices today will be like tomorrow. So here's my challenge. You ready? Since we can't see, We should trust the one who can. Since we don't know what tomorrow holds, we should trust the one who does. Noah didn't argue about the wisdom of building a boat. (laughs) Noah just did it because God knew. 
God said, Noah did it. Our choices will have an impact that reaches far beyond here and now and us. So my challenge is we trust the one who knows what's on the other side. Amen. I want to close by talking to those of you. Well, the key choice you have yet to make is the one where you recognize what Jesus has done for you. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, it wasn't just for all of humanity. It was very specifically for you. And at some point in time, every single one of us has to look through the corridors of time, look at Jesus hanging on the cross and say, thank you that you died for me. Now I want to live for you. Every single one of us has to do that at some point. And if you've never done that, I want to help you do that right here, right now, this morning. But I'm not going to embarrass you or ask you to stand up or do anything weird, but right where you're seated. Would you all join me in praise? Say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you. I thank you that you died for me. And now I want to live for you. I thank you for your love your mercy, and your forgiveness. And my simple prayer here today is that you would give my life great meaning and great purpose in your kingdom. Amen. Let's celebrate with those people. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. If you've made the decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's the best decision you'll ever make. If you've been impacted in any way, we'd love to hear about it. Head over to gracelife.church resources where you can share your story and find other tools for following Jesus. We hope you go out and make Jesus famous in your world.